Gator Nation, and welcome to a very special episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, as well as on Instagram under the same at name. You can also follow me on Facebook and YouTube in All Kinds of Weather. We like to talk about all sports here on this show when they do well. Um, we like to shine a spotlight on teams that deserve it because Florida is the hashtag everything school. And that means that today we're talking about a sport that there hasn't really been reason to talk about for the most part since we launched this show about a year and a half ago. Uh, the program was in the news for all the wrong reasons last offseason, so we did address it then. But this program that we're here to talk about today just hasn't produced the results that can get a fan base excited until now. We're talking about the Florida women's basketball program today, and we're talking about one of the most incredible stories at really in all of college sports recently, and we've got a very special guest to help us do so coming on in just a minute. First, though, let's shout out our sponsors slash partners. As usual, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of you that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for the flights, the rental cars, the hotel, the game tickets, the gear, and we make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We are looking for someone to send to the swamp in 2022. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor, please reach out to us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And of course, as always, any donations would be tremendously appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button. And while you're on the website, you can also look around and see some of the campaigns that we've done in previous years. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And number two, it is run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. To make a very long story short, the Florida women's basketball program is a program that not only wasn't winning games, not only did they struggle on the court the last few years, but the head coach, Cam Neubauer, mysteriously stepped away from the program just before the start of the 2021-22 season. And about a month or so after, maybe I think it was about five weeks, six weeks maybe, after he did so, we found out why exactly he stepped down. And it wasn't because Florida had gone 15 and 47 in the SEC in his first four seasons. And in fact, just about six weeks before he stepped down, Scott Strickland, the athletic director, had signed him to an extension. So clearly that wasn't it. Clearly the results were just fine and dandy with Strickland. And evidently something 
even more horrifying, way more horrifying, in fact, was also find Danny with him. It turned out that, as first reported by Zachary Huber of the independent Florida Alligator, uh, for lack of a better way to put this, Neubauer was kind of a monster, throwing basketballs at the legs of players who were recovering from ACL surgery, getting in their faces in the training room after they had been physically hurt, and taunting them, even telling one girl that her torn ACL, quote-unquote, wasn't that bad making a variety of borderline racist to sometimes downright racist remarks, such as telling black players that he liked their hair and he wanted to touch it, but he knew he wasn't supposed to. And, and worse than that, talking about the tattoos that some players wore and saying that we need to cover them up because I don't want my daughters to mimic that telling some players, some African-American players that we need to get you new clothes throwing out their existing clothes and having assistants take them shopping for Cam Neubauer approved clothing, uh, holding an open practice in front of boosters, forcing the team to listen as he berated them to the boosters about how embarrassing they were telling them that they didn't belong in the sec. They didn't belong at Florida. Again, that that's coming from the coach with the single worst winning percentage of any Gator women's basketball coach over his first four years. Um, but threatening to pull their scholarships repeatedly, not just once or twice in the heat of the moment, but repeatedly making that threat. Actually throwing three freshmen off his team at the end of the year, forcing them to clean out their lockers. Um, and all of this resulting in countless players either quitting the team or transferring. And one player even attempted to take her own life and, and thankfully was was unsuccessful in that attempt so that's why he left he didn't step down for personal reasons as the university of florida allowed to be the narrative he stepped down because he was a terrible human being and then his assistant kelly ray finley was named the head coach the story didn't exactly die down at that point there were some follow-up bombshells that dropped with more and more details coming forward uh, outside the lines from ESPN did an investigative piece on them. One of the former players, Sidney Kinslow, even accused Finley of covering up for Neubauer and playing good cop to his bad cop, to which it is important to add that Kinslow left the team and Kinslow left the team before the 21-22 season and the entire 2021-22 team unambiguously, unanimously, and vociferously stood up for Finley in public and adamantly stated, that is not true. We do not feel that way about our head coach. Uh, I mean, that's that's what one former player is saying, to which I say, you know, I wasn't there. The guest I'm about to bring on also wasn't there. She cannot personally verify or refute Sidney Kinslow's claim, but that is what one player is saying. We have to point that out and of course is also is equally responsible to point out that every single player on this current team refutes those allegations and says that that Finley was not uh in, in any way the bad cop she was the voice of reason we love her and, and we are excited to play for her so Finley takes over and right away things don't really look good Florida did beat Georgia State to start the year and then went right around and got blown out by Towson, which is the result that 
shouldn't happen at the University of Florida. Thousands a very good team. Uh, they're, they're 17 and five in their in their lower conference, but still not a result that should happen at the University of Florida. Florida then loses to NC State, and they're one and two. And then the narratives start coming in that well, all right, they're just going to try to get through the year. Um, doesn't look like the team is really going to make news again for anything other than possible additional developments to this story. The basketball piece of this team's story is kind of exactly what it's been the last few years. They're not very good. They're just going to stumble through the year and be done with it and then move on with their lives. Then Finley gets the team to start winning games. They go out and they beat FSU, which right away, that's a team that had beaten Florida five times in a row. So they turned that around and they turned some heads around with that result. Then they kind of fell back down to earth, starting out 0-2 in the SEC. They lose their best player for the year in Lavender Briggs. Critical, devastating loss, or or at least it appeared to be, um, as as that was Florida's most talented player. And now she's gone for the year. Florida's most talented player being done for the year on a team that hadn't really produced a lot in terms of wins the last few years does not seem very conducive to any kind of success moving forward. And then Florida loses their next game, their first game without Miss Briggs. And then the team goes out and they win nine of their next 10 games, including five wins over ranked teams, including a top 10 Tennessee team. And their only loss comes to the number one team in the country in South Carolina, in which they really only played one bad quarter and the rest of the time hung in there toe to toe with them. So without their best player team rallies together and wins nine of their next 10 games. They're now ranked by the way themselves, number 17 in the country as of this recording. And I think it's, it's fair to say that given where they came from with Cam Neubauer and now under the new stewardship of Kelly Ray Finley, easily qualify as one of the best stories in college athletics today, if not the best. So that's the scope of things. And we have a former Florida Gator women's basketball player coming on to talk about it right now. All right. So Jordan Jones slash Jordan Dorman, I guess people might remember her as, um, (laughs) started her basketball career at South Carolina, then transferred and played three Pretty good years for the Florida women's basketball program as a guard. Uh, She is fourth on Florida's all-time three-pointers list with 194. She led her team in scoring in her second year with Florida, finished second in scoring on the team her other two years. And what I'll remember her for, gritty, tough player, but wasn't really known for boards, but she got eight of them against Ohio State in the first round of the NCAA tournament in 2012 and helped Florida beat them. You know, surprise, Florida beats Ohio State in the postseason. <laughs> what else What else is new? Um, probably most importantly to her, a two-time SEC academic honor roll selection. And most importantly for our show today, Jordan is now a fan of the program. She used to play, but she is pretty plugged into the program um, today. And it's been kind of difficult to follow this program um, very heavily the past few years, but she's – you know, she always goes to the games she can go to um, as, as a mother of two young kids. It, it can be difficult, but she goes to whatever, however many games she can and watches pretty much all of them. Um, and also one of the more uh, intelligent fans you'll find out there. So that's why we've got her today. Jordan, uh, it's an honor. A lot of accomplishments of yours to go through there. Did I, did I get the most important ones? I think you got it. And I appreciate you having me on in that little introduction. I 
I said to you just a few minutes ago, this is my first podcast, but I'm excited to talk about Florida women's basketball and what they're doing now. Like you said, there's a lot of excitement around the program. So I'm excited and hopefully we can get some more people excited too. Yeah, that's the goal. This is a, a program that deserves that. Uh, I mean, sure. Florida, Florida fans are typically known for, for football, uh, men's basketball and, and some baseball and maybe a little softball, but there are other sports out there that, that do their jobs on a very high level. I mean, Florida men's tennis won the national title last year. Yeah. Gymnastics is, I mean, almost on a yearly basis, one of the best in the country. And now women's basketball is not really a program with the history um, as some, as some of the other programs of Florida, but certainly now one of the best stories in all of college sports. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, okay. Jordan, we like to start off our shows with guests with a little segment that our co-host Casey started. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here today, but in his honor, um, we're going to do something called the lightning round, which is a quick all series right. of questions to sort of warm up and let people get to know you a little more. So first question is always the same. It's a little different for you because I know you didn't start at Florida, but why did you ultimately choose to be a Florida Gator? I know this is a lightning round, so hopefully it's okay Go to have it. a no, little no, no. bit whatever, longer of an answer. Um, whatever you got to so say. So actually, say. I took my, you talk about other sports. I took my official visit to Florida in, I guess it would have been like April or May, and maybe you would know the timeline better based on what I say next, but uh, the softball team was hosting, I guess it's called a super regional maybe for softball uh, for the NCAA tournament. And I went and it was literally packed. Like every single seat, standing room only on the line, people were coming up, go Gators. And the atmosphere was just like something that you felt like you wanted to be a part of. And obviously I took a visit when it wasn't basketball season, wasn't football season, but just seeing how passionate people were about softball is something I hadn't seen before. And literally I had other visits lined up. Actually, I was headed to Kentucky the next weekend, Ohio State, Georgia, and Auburn. And those were the other four I was going to take. Florida was my first one. And I said, you know what? I've seen enough. This is where I want to be. So you took this visit after your freshman year at South Carolina? Yep. Yeah, so they were – well, I mean, Florida softball hosts a regional almost every year. A super right. Regional almost every year. <laughs> I think the one year they didn't was, was 12 where they uh, – they had a bit of an off-field mess um, with uh, with the Fagan sisters, but that's yep. beside the point. I mean, you, that was probably 2009, the year that they went to the final and lost to Washington. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that is the kind of passion that that Florida Gator fans have. I mean, as I can remember that offhand, that was a that that was one of the most crippling losses in a Florida women's sport I can remember. Danielle For Laurie sure. was just excellent that weekend. Um, but yeah, so that's. That's pretty cool. It wasn't even the basketball program that sold you yeah. on the Florida Gators. Um, so what was your favorite win to be a part of in your three years with the Gators and why? You know, you already mentioned it, but it would have been that Ohio State win. And part of it just personally, so all of my mom's side of the family lives in Ohio. So my grandparents were at the game, aunts, uncles, cousins. It was a big showing. And then we went into that game just as like super Ohio state had a really good year that year and they were probably a little underseated and we may have been a little underseated, but I don't think anyone thought we had a chance. They had a really good team and we went in and it was just fun. I mean, it was NCAA tournament atmosphere in Ohio to beat Ohio state. And like you said, with Florida's history of Ohio state playing Ohio state, it just seems like that's something that is supposed to happen. So for us to kind of carry that on, that would definitely be a highlight. 
Yeah, you, you guys definitely carried on the tradition there, beating Ohio State. <laughs> I remember that game. That, that was weird in the sense that it was an 8-9 matchup, but no one yeah. thought you guys had a shot. That was right. the thing. Like, you guys were so disrespected. I mean, 8-9, typically like a toss-up game. You figure, well, the next round is going to be, well, the hard one. But this is like usually a toss-up. No one no one respected you guys. And you went in right. and you got eight boards. I know that, you know, again, you weren't really – I mean, you were a tough, gritty player, but rebounds weren't really your big. Not my thing. <laughs> you got eight of them in that game. That was that was pretty cool. Um, so, what was your? This this is a little tricky because I know that they've changed over the years. But what's your favorite jersey combo for Florida women's basketball? Either I, later now. You know, I know they wore them last night. And so we're recording this on Tuesday. They wore them last night, Monday, to play Auburn. The blacks, I feel like you can never go wrong with the all blacks. We actually um, we actually did it, I think, for my senior night. But it was a think pink game. So we had all pink jerseys. And that was cool just because it was something totally different. But I, uh, I like the traditional. But just to throw out an all black every once in a while, I think you can never go wrong there. What do you think of the scales down the side, the alligator scales? You know – when you first said scales, I thought of the football teams. What yeah, was that a those. few years ago? So not, not that I like the subtle, you know, scales down the side just to give it a little bit of an accent. So I'm a fan of those. Okay. Cause you didn't have those when you played it. It, it looked yeah. more like the men's jerseys back yep. in the days. Um, but you like that. Okay. We'll have to pass. That I on. do. <laughs> um, so I guess for a, a transitional question into our main topic of discussion, I, I know you're going to know exactly what I'm hinting at when I ask this, but tell us a little bit about the culture of Florida women's basketball under Amanda Butler when you played there. Yeah. So just thinking of how she was as a coach, she was one of those who um, loved you on the court, loved you off the court. She had expectations for what she wanted on the court. And if you didn't meet those, then she was going to tell you about it. Um, but off the court, I feel like there was never a question by, I'm assuming anyone in the locker room that she cared for you and kind of to give some backstory there. So my first year I transferred pre-portal days. So I had to sit out an entire year and that red shirt year is brutal. Like you do all the practices, you do all the weights, you do the conditioning. And then on top of that, you do your own. So like on game day, when everyone's looking forward to game day, you have your own one-on-one -on -one session with the strength coach which is, I mean, it's hard. So basically you do all the dirty work, but you never get the excitement of like playing in a game. So um, there was one afternoon early, early in the season when it was already kind of wearing on me and, and Coach Butler just texted and said, let's go grab lunch. And just something as simple as that, just to sit down and have lunch and check on me and just talk. And obviously coaches get paid to win games and I couldn't really do much to help win games, but to have an investment in players off the court to kind of allow for that trust of when the going gets tough and they're in their face, in your face yelling that you know that they care for you as a person first and, and then a player. And I think that makes it easier to respect those, those tough conversations that really every coach is going to have that, you know, it's not all, not all sunshine and roses when you're playing. But um, so I would say the culture just as a whole was, um, very try to make it family like we were a family like we would have dinners at coach butler's house or go out to dinner try to keep that close cohesive team um but then we knew in practices you were going to get chewed out here and there at a, an appropriate level so no complaints with with how coach butler coached us as far as on the court and then definitely felt like off the court that we were cared for as people which i think is really important
And I have to ask you, um, what, what was your opinion of, of, um, of the move to part ways with her and then go a different direction? And we won't even talk <laughs> about what happened with the, the, the guy that followed, but just the overall feeling about letting her go. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I get it that it, like I said, it comes down to wins and losses. And I know a new athletic athletic director came in and I feel like athletic directors want their people. So I think that's hard. Um, as far as, you know, how she was doing, I know they had a really good year um, in 2000, I guess that was 15, 16, made the NCAA tournament. Um, so it's tough. I, I mean, I think she could still be there now. I know she would have done a lot better than the last guy who was in there if she was still there. So, but you know, I always try to see things from both sides. So seeing things from an athletic director coming in saying, you know, he was at Mississippi State where they turned this program around and they were really, really, really successful. So I could, I can see, you know, I can understand at least from from his point of view maybe what he was thinking. But do I think it was necessarily? you know, totally warranted. No, I think women's basketball is hard. You know, you have typically schools at the top that have just always been at the top and it's hard to break in unless, you know, Dawn Staley's done a great job at South Carolina. She's a huge name. Um, but especially university of Florida never really been successful as far as, you know, the standard of other sports, especially at Florida. So that, that was a tough one. I think the way it happened, I know it was on her birthday. Um, that that's, rough and probably not so understandable, but I, I can see both sides for sure. I have to wonder what happens with her. If uh, I mean, Florida was a five seed that year, they lost to Albany right. as a 12. Uh, if Florida wins that game, if they win one more, I think it was Syracuse. They draw in that regional. If they win just those two games, does that, sure. does that change it? Um, and then do we then avoid the mess that followed? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it has to be, it's not it's not the main purpose of this pod, but it it's certainly the setup of it. Um, I mean, if if just if she wins those two games, do we avoid the hire of Mr. Newbauer, who right. did not do terribly at Belmont? I mean, I think he won uh, the conference tournament a couple of times. It seemed like a somewhat decent hire from a wins and losses standpoint, but. I, I know you had some questions about it. So uh, what, what were your reservations about bringing him in to begin with before anything came out? You know, I think the name of the game, really now in any sport, and, and Kirby Smart mentioned it, is recruiting. So to me as a female, and you think of, I, I coached high school basketball for a little while after I played, and just knowing the mindset of 16, 17-year-old girls, is Cam Newbauer the hire where these girl, these teenagers are going to be like, yep, you know, that's the school. So I always had reservations recruiting wise, how that was going to, you know, I talk about Dawn Staley and obviously she's a huge name that uh, young girls would want to go play for um, a splash hire like that. And not saying, you know, Dawn Staley's aren't just walking around everywhere where every school can find one. But um, I, when I first heard the hire, I was like, ah, you know, let's, let's see how it goes, but it wasn't necessarily someone where I was like home run, let's go excitement back in the program, that kind of thing. I can think of another basketball hire that he made that I'm not going to mention on this show because <laughs> it's not about that, but that, that was, that was a pretty good representation of what I thought when uh, the men's basketball guy who we'll talk about later, some other pod <laughs> um, was brought on. So anyway, Neubauer, um, the wins and losses that you like to talk about, first couple of years on his on the job for him weren't there. Uh, in fact, I think there was a statistic where Florida 
had the worst four year stretch um, or, or the first four years under Neubauer were the worst of any Florida women's basketball coach in the coach's first four years wow. on the job. Um, it was, it was a ton of ticky tack sack. I think someone like 20, 30 years ago got sick or something and missed a few games, which skewed it, but bad, 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 right. bad, bad, bad. Wins and losses weren't there. Then it comes out that he's extended about five, six weeks or so before the bomb drops in the Florida Alligator newspaper. And that is, as mentioned at the top of the show, all kinds of abuse. He's, he's yeah. throwing balls at, at the legs of girls who are recovering from ACL surgery. There are some borderline, well, no, no, there, there are racist comments in there. Um, definitely some microaggressions that just aren't, aren't, aren't tolerable today. Um, I guess the question is uh, to start, how did you first come to know about the allegations? When did they first come across your phone or, or did you see them for yourself or uh, anything like that? And, and from what you did know, would you say that, that there were kind of ebbs and flows in Neubauer's behavior? Like were there good days, bad days, or was it just always that terrible? Not that either is acceptable, obviously right. out there, but what, was it sort of good day, bad day, or was it just always every day that bad? You know, so a lot of what I'm going to say is from an outside perspective, as in I was not in the practices. This is hearing from multiple people, but I think one important thing, at least from my point of view, as I tried to piece together what was going on is that I had perspectives from people in all different stages. So, so to back that up a little bit, I had former teammates who lived in the area and were close enough to still go back and like be practice players. And, and that was a thing. Even when I played, there were always former players that would drop in and be what we call like a practice team player. And early on in the first season, they stopped going um, because they said it was so uncomfortable and he was just terrible to be around. And I was like, man, you know, that's, and that's coming from people who played for the, for coach Butler. So like I said, with coach Butler, it's not like she was all sunshine and rainbows and, you guys are amazing and just all, you know, fluffing everyone up. It's that's coming from people who have been college basketball players and seen the way a coach, you know, gets onto you, but also loves you at the same time. So that was kind of my first look at, man, what, you know, what kind of guy is, is he? Um, do I think it was every single day, this terrible, miserable experience? No. And that's kind of an assumption. Um, but do I think there were probably more bad days than good days? Probably. Yes. Um, it's hard because, you know, and actually I know we're going to touch on Kelly, Kelly Ray and the job she's doing, but I saw an interview with her yesterday and someone asked who her mentor is. And she said the Harvard coach that she coached under, and she's been there 40, she said 40 or 41 years. And she was like, she taught me that it's about making an experience for the players and making it like a positive experience. And I think that's something that just went right over, over Cam as far as the, you know, wins and losses are important, but it's also humans and people that you're dealing with. And I think he came in and had a certain style that he said was going to be his style. And, and maybe a Gino who's done it and been successful or like a Kim Mulkey who, who, did it at Baylor and then goes to LSU, maybe they have earned the right and the respect to kind of have their style. And that may be more of a, you know, get in your face or, or say certain things that maybe other coaches can't get away with. But I think Cam came in and wanted to do things his way, regardless of how people responded to it. And I think 
it may have started here and then just slowly, slowly gotten worse as the years went on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do in, in one sense, understand the hire in the sense that young guy, if he wins, if he grows into the job, he can be that, that Gator lifer. Like, you know, we saw with Billy Donovan, like we saw, I guess with Spurrier for a dozen years. Um, but like Tim Walton, um, Kevin O'Sullivan, they've just grown into the job. They've become Gators for life. You don't really fear, I guess in Donovan's case, the Spurrier's case, they went to the NFL, but you don't really fear right. that, that they're going to take other jobs. I guess the thing with Newbauer was, all right, he's young. He's won enough at Belmont that I can see him <laughs> coming in and doing a good enough job where he learns, he grows into it, and he's a Gator hero for decades to come. The problem is, I mean, it seems that he came in with this attitude right away. He didn't seem to understand that he could, you know, grow into it. And maybe as the wins came, not that, you know, throwing balls at legs, right. ACL tears are good anyway, but that he could sort of turn up the temperature as he grew into the job and the wins sort of came. It seems like it was just destined to fail from the start with him. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't know the stat, what you said earlier about the worst, the worst stretch. Mm -hmm. And, and like I mentioned or alluded to earlier of that Florida women's basketball hasn't had the success that we would all have loved to, for us to have. But that being said, for the most part, there was a consistency there where, you know, we may not have been winning SEC championships, but we weren't last. We, you know, we were, we were competitive. So it just seemed like with Cam and, and coach Butler didn't leave him a bad team with no talent. Cause she obviously did really well the previous year. Um, it just seemed like with Cam from the get go, it was just bad. Like the results on the court were bad. And I think part of that is I can actually remember watching early, uh, one of their first couple games. And his thing was like, you just shoot it from anywhere. Like shoot, chuck the threes up. Didn't matter from where fast, right? Whatever. If it was a good shot, bad shot, chuck it up there. And I was like, man, he, that would have been cool to play for. Like I would have just been slinging that thing. But then in hindsight, it's like, is that a coach who came in trying to make a system fit the players he had? Or did he come in with his own system and say, this is what we're doing and don't care what the results say. This is, this is what I'm doing. And I think maybe, and again, assumptions, I don't know Cam personally necessarily. I just know what I've heard from a lot of people and been able to kind of gather is that he came in ready to do things his way and it didn't matter how it affected anyone else. It was his way and he believed that was going to be successful. Yeah, I, I guess it's um, – I, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I think it was his second – or no, it, it was his third year at Florida, his second to last year, where one of my friends of a friend, like very, very tangential, but, but word got to me that he was telling the center, hey, purposely lose the tap because I want the possession arrow. But, like, if you – I mean, also, if you do the tap right, you get a free bucket out of it. Right. It was just just little things like that, kind of like carefree attitude. I never would have guessed that this was happening, but things like that kind of just it, it didn't check out. I guess. Right. Um, I want to move on into the the current team because that is the whole purpose of this. But uh, before we do it, I do have one last question, um, and, and I guess I'm asking this on behalf of of kids, like you mentioned, recruiting. This is about appealing mm -hmm. to you know 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girls and, and boys of of all sports. Um, I live in New Jersey. There, there was a time about nine years ago where all I read for a month was Mike Rice, Mike Rice, Mike Rice, Mike Rice, abuse, Mike Rice, homophobic. Slurs so video, Mike Rice, you're a worthless C word, P word, fairy, whatever, all this horrible stuff again, again. And 
it makes me think that didn't come out until a couple of years into his tenure. This stuff right. at Cam Neubauer doesn't come out for four years, I think. I mean, there, there were no – I mean, there was corrective action that was taken, supposedly, but there were no – no news stories. There was no public coverage of this for four years. And that makes me wonder, well, all right, where else is this happening? How common is this in, in sports, uh, not just basketball, but sports anywhere? So I guess the question is, if you're a kid who's playing a sport, where would you say the line is? And what should you look for to cross that line between tough love and just being a bad person? Right. I think some of it, and obviously there's there's no black or white answer of the, well, obviously some things are very clearly wrong um, and, and shouldn't be accepted acceptable even just one time. But as far as like, I think there does have to be some, how someone makes you feel. And I don't mean, you got, you have to take playing time out of it. If you're not playing, obviously maybe you have some feelings toward your coach. If I should be playing, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how a coach makes you feel as a person. So if every day you go and practice and you feel beat down and like nothing you do is ever good enough and there's no positivity, I think that is when a conversation should be had because it's affecting your mental health. And I think that's important to discuss in that um, we all want to win games and, and none of us are ever going to win and perform as well as we all want to do individually. So, so some of that has to be how someone's making you feel and do you feel kind of like going back to what I said, Coach Butler, I think did a good job of is that we were players and that was one part of our relationships. But do you feel valued as a person as well? Um, and if you don't, then maybe that's a conversation that needs to be had. And I hope people choose to play for coaches that they feel like they can walk in their door and say and not feel like they're, you know, being combative or whatever it is and just say, hey, this is making me feel this kind of way and try to have that open dialogue. I think a lot of times as athletes and the relationship with your coach is you don't want to be combative, you don't want to disappoint. So you maybe hold things in and then and really in, in life in general, you hold things in and then it gets worse and worse and worse until it all just explodes. So I think trying to have that relationship where you trust that person to be to be able to listen to you and have that dialogue that would be a big piece of advice I would give to young girls and boys and anyone really. And any, that, that applies just to life in general, not just athletics. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the best advice anyone can have. I mean, you got to know, uh, I mean, if it's playing time, obviously you can't just say, yeah, right. the coach is abusing me. Um, right. But there, there obviously does come a line where you have to say, you know, this, this isn't right. Something, something's wrong here. This doesn't feel like a normal interaction. You gotta, you gotta do something. Um, and just to add on to that, in in those players' defense who were playing for him, they did. Certain ones did do that. And I know um, we actually had a Zoom call with Scott Strickland a couple of months ago with a, a several former women's basketball players and, and kind of got to hear from him and what went wrong and what they're going to do in the future. And I do think they have a better – plan I guess you can say in place to try to make sure something like that never happens again that there's people that the girls can trust if something's going on and know that they're going to be heard and I think that's important too is that you know it shouldn't just fall on the kids to be brave enough to stand up and say hey this isn't right but knowing that there's leadership involved and, and overseeing things to make sure because some of this stuff it went on way too long and it was known about and they, they tried to monitor it and see here and there, but I think there definitely can be moving forward with any program 
a better dialogue, not just between coach and player, and that's between them, but also between leadership and players so that there's a, there's an open dialogue there knowing exactly what's going on and what's acceptable and what may just be, you know, at times teenagers are teenagers and maybe they're a little sensitive, but when it crosses that line, knowing that there's adults in place to make sure it doesn't go any farther. I guess that's the most important thing of all to know. I mean, we, we can we can harangue Scott Strickland all day long because what he did, or, or more accurately, what he didn't do was not acceptable by any means. Um, but he is the athletic director, and if he's going to stay the athletic director, despite what many, including myself, I'll, I'll say that, um, despite what many think uh, should be the case, if he is going to be the AD, it's good to know that at least there is something in place to prevent this from happening again, um, at right. least – at least on paper, whether it, it turns into action or not, I guess we'll see. But um, I mean, you mentioned adults in place, adults being there to help step in. One who did in this case, now the head coach, um, at least on an interim basis, we can discuss that in a little bit too. Um, Kelly Ray Finley, she is, I think in, in most corners of the college basketball world being painted as a hero for a lot of obvious reasons. I wouldn't be doing my job though, if I didn't at least point out the allegations that were raised by one former player who accused Finley of doing some damage control for Cam Neubauer playing, I think her words were playing good cop to his bad cop. Um, it, it'd be journalistically irresponsible if we didn't at least touch on it. So before we, before we dive into the current team and all the miracles that she's worked um, from a wins and losses standpoint, at least, what do you know about her? And I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on the allegations from Sidney Kinslow there? I think it's tough um, when you have one player who says something and then 40 who say something else. And I don't want to discredit any, anyone's experience because obviously I wasn't there and no one else was there except for that one player. But I think it's hard. I think you have to, you have to find the middle ground there. And like I said earlier, I, I try to see things from both sides. So, and, and now backtracking as far as Kelly, I don't personally know her. So this isn't me kind of like in the words what Kim Mulkey said when she was talking about her. I'm not talking about a friend or someone that I'm just trying to defend. I don't know Kelly outside of just she's doing an amazing job and things I've heard. Um, but Kelly had a job to do, and that was be the assistant. I think she was actually the associate head coach. And at the time, there was leadership involved as far as things that Cam was doing that was inappropriate. So from Kelly's point of view, I don't know what else she could have done other than say, hey, get out of here, I'm taking over, which obviously she couldn't. Um, so I, I think in any – and it's funny you say good cop, bad cop, because when I was coaching, I was an assistant coach at my old high school out of college, and the head coach we had was – he was bad cop. I mean, he was tough, he was intense, and I – and not inappropriately, but just very demanding. We, there was, it was a good program, very demanding of the girls. And I tried to be good cop, as in I knew they were teenage girls, they get their feelings hurt, and I tried to be the one that they knew if I got upset, it was it was serious, you know what I mean? Like I was the person who was there to be like, it's okay, like you're, you're going to get them next, that kind of thing. So I think in any coaching staff, that's important to have. I think someone like Gino or Pat Summit or Andy Lanners at Georgia, they were bad cops, as in they were you know very demanding, they were the ones who are getting upset in your face but they had people on staff who were the good cops. So I think for Kelly, that was her role. And that's something that she had to do to keep any kind of semblance of a team or else everyone would have left. So 
I don't think it's fair to say that she was enabling or anything like that. I think she played the role that she had to play to keep those girls somewhat sane. Yeah, that's probably the fairest explanation there is. Um, and it's also, I mean, for even more so than what you said, it's, it's extremely telling that every other player, including one who wound up leaving the team right. in Lavender Briggs, would come out and publicly defend her with such – um, such such vigor, I guess. I mean, they, they didn't just say no, you know, she's doing she's doing her best. She did her job. She's fine. We like her. No, they they were they were adamant about it. They were like, yeah. no, no, that was her experience. That's not our experience. She's right. been great. We love her, etc. So it's it's with that in mind that I guess I have the the peace of mind to to proceed here um, with with painting her as the hero that from a wins and losses standpoint she clearly is and. From the way that she interacts with her players, at least on camera, she also is. Um, so let's talk about it. Kelly Ray Finley <laughs> and, and this, this current basketball team. Um, I, I guess we should start zoomed out a little bit and then okay. zoom in a little bit more um, after the first couple questions. You, know, you have the abuse. You have all the wrong kinds of headlines. Basketball-wise, they beat Georgia State to start the year. Okay, want to know? Cool. Then they get rocked by Towson, which – I mean, Towson is pretty good. I think they're 17 and five, but that's not a result that should really happen. And then they lose to NC state. So they're one and two. So clearly they're they're It's reasonable to think, okay, here we go again. Here comes another bad season. Go on a little bit of a run. They beat FSU. That snaps a five game losing streak to them. That's cool. But then they start zero and two in the sec. And in the middle of that zero and two start in the sec, Lavender Briggs done for the year. She transfers probably the best player on the team, if not one of the two best players on the team. Um, and then look at what's happened since. I don't even know how to explain it. So I'll, I'll let, I'll let you take a shot at it. You're the first time on the podcast. So I'm throwing you in. Here. <laughs> what in the world has happened since they started 0-2 in the SEC? Jordan? You know, and, and just to backtrack a little bit, this isn't the question you asked, but Going into the season, so one of my friends and former teammates, her name is Steffi Sorensen, she commentates a, a lot of SEC, pretty much every SEC game. She's somewhere that day. And I was like, man, you know, she's being set up to fail in reference to Kelly Ray. And I was like, who could come in and take this team whose head coach literally just left a few months ago and not just left, but left under like, terrible you know uh, chaos and distractions and that kind of thing and and they weren't very good last year and I was like they're they're literally set up to fail and I was like no matter how good of a coach she is she's stepping into this and good for her for taking it because let's say she did take it and they weren't very good now the next job she tries to get if it's as a head coach people are probably like well at Florida she only won x amount of games or or whatever so going into the season I had very low expectations for what was going to happen and that's no knock on any of the players or the coaches it's just they've been through a lot and to come in and have a new voice and essentially a new system put in place that would be hard on anyone so that being said when i you know followed the the beginning of the season kind of was just like ah uh, yeah i mean well didn't think much was going to happen um and then those those sec games you know lavender briggs you touched on it talent wise is not was not just in my opinion the the best player on the team but a top three four player in the sec and could have been one of the best players ever at florida like that's how that's how good i think she was now on the flip side of that i think with her she was so good that maybe she became like a crutch to other players as far as 
you're just kind of waiting for her to do something special because she's a really special player. And I actually saw this graphic on the screen last night that I wouldn't have known, but Zippy Broughton in the non-conference averaged five points a game and shooting, uh, I think it was maybe 30%. And then in SEC play, she's averaging almost 15 points a game, shooting over 40%. And I think she has been a big beneficiary and she is talented. I mean, she is good. I think Lavender leaving, even though that was such a massive talent, kind of opened it up for other people to play more freely. And if you watch how they play, kind of going into a little bit of X's and O's, they rely a lot on their guards. So their post play, um, as far as like back to the basket, create their own shot kind of scoring, they don't have that. So it's really guards creating their own shots or creating really good shots for other players. So they run a lot of weave on the, on the perimeter, a lot of ball screens, putting the ball in their guards' hands, letting them attack and, and make a decision. So I think not having that person that you thought – get her the ball because she's so good has, has allowed them to play more free basketball. And that's what those guards are. I mean, I'm telling you that Kiki Smith and in cam, when cam was coach, I didn't watch them nearly as much as I should have. Um, now I've watched a lot. I've been, I went to the Georgia game set up there, set, you know, right behind the bench. And she in transition is one of the most impressive female finishers and just attackers that I've ever seen. And that's, I mean, I'm, I don't say that lightly, um, so I think, you know, by losing someone so talented, they really did just free up the way they played. And it's shown by guards attacking and, and making, making things easier for other people. I, I guess the real question, though, is um, with, with all they've been through, with the way the season started, not very, not very well against, you know, Towson, that, that was a loss that I thought, okay, this, yeah, it's going to be the same old, same old. I would have guessed um, – as, as an outsider, more so, obviously, of an outsider than you are, I would have guessed, okay, Lavender's leaving, that's, that's a killer. Like, that's, yeah. good, that's good night. They're, they're done. Instead, you said something that I, I really, really liked. Her departure allowed. It, it allowed other guards to step up. It gave them the opportunity. I would have thought that that would have allowed – for an excuse to come in for them to go right. two and 14 in the sec. How does Kelly Ray Finley take it from, you know, a, a, the devastating loss that I thought it was going to be. And certainly I think a lot of you know fans would have guessed it was going to be, and maybe even yourself could have guessed beforehand sure. it was going to be, how does she take that and turn it into an opportunity for these players to step up and shine? Cause that clearly was not what was happening at Florida for the last several years. So I think that's something that is undeniable. No one can argue. She can coach. That, this Florida team, they have talent. Do they have the third most talent? Because they're, they're third in the SEC now. Do they have the third most talent in the SEC? No, they don't. And that, to me, is a direct reflection of the head coach. I think a lot of people, you, me, uh, probably a bunch of people on Twitter, could go coach the most talented team or one of the most talented teams in the country and get wins and get results and everyone's happy, whatever. But to take a team that probably isn't as talented as a lot of these teams and win games, to me, that thought, now the coach, the players obviously have to buy in, but what are they buying into? It's the coach and it's her vision. And the system is completely different, not just the system, but if you watch them the next time they play, let's assume they win on Thursday. Um, you see players running up to her and hugging her. So to me, that is a direct reflection of not only are they buying into her system, but they're buying into playing for her because they enjoy her. Um, I saw last night, actually, 
Now, I probably would have been a little more upset, but one of the players got a technical late in the game from waving off a ref, and it was warranted, I think. She she earned it, and I saw Kelly. They kept the camera on her. The player came over, and she's patting her on the back, and she's saying something, and she's smiling, and she's trying to keep it lighthearted. And obviously, I think there's times where it can't always be lighthearted, but just reflecting on what they have been through for the last however many years where it probably was never really lighthearted, I think she's done an amazing job of trying to of finding that balance to where she's clearly getting the most out of the girls, but she's also making it a fun experience for them, which I think they've, they've earned and they deserve. And it's, it's correlating to wins on the court, which is really cool to see. Well, I think there's, there's an element of uh, even if, I mean, even if Zippy Broughton gets, I don't know, say a technical, I say a flagrant, then a technical, and then she does something really like really stupid, like, like say punches an opposing player, some, something like way off, off the end. Um, I think that there's an element of you have to keep her unless unless you're going to throw her off the team, which obviously not going right. to happen. There's an element of we still need you. You may have messed mm-hmm. up here. We're still going to have to rely on you at some point. This wasn't good, but we're going to need you. So shake it off and let's you know let's get back to back to basketball. I guess punching someone is an ejection, so that's not really applicable. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Someone can For do sure. something really stupid. We'll we'll take Marco, like Marco Wilson, the football player, which who everybody knows. Um, yeah. You could have benched him, but if you're going to play him, there's got to be an element of, yo, that was dumb. We need you, man. We need you. We got to shake that off. Yeah. We got to, got to keep playing for us. Um, and I think Kelly Ray has done an excellent job of that from just watching that one moment you mentioned. Um, and I mean, I don't know how she got the players to buy in like this though. Like that's, that's what I keep coming back to nine and one in their last 10 Half of those 10 games, or six of those 10 games against ranked teams, five wins against ranked teams, including Tennessee, who's one of the biggest Leviathans in the sport. You, you beat them by, what was it, 83-57? It wasn't a game that came down in the last possession. You kill them. I know she's talented X's and O's wise, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there's there's a there's an element of belief in this, too. Um, like, I mean, I, I've talked to the players on, on other sports teams. I mean, there are – there's talent everywhere you look. Like at Florida, mm-hmm. you're in the SEC. You're going to go up against talented opponents. Um, we had Alex Fiedo on this pod a year ago, and he said, yeah. I mean, 2016, which lost in the in the College World Series in the first two games, yeah, they were talented. They had Pete Alonzo, Jonathan India. Talent was there. Now Brady Singer, Jackson Carr, whatever. Next year, the chemistry goes from great to just off the charts. We believe mm-hmm. like never before. I mean, Cheyenne Lindsay, um, I'm friends with her. She says, yeah, this softball team last year, great, a lot of talent. Chemistry was really there. This year, it's gone from really there to just completely off the charts. How does Kelly Ray Finley do that? For sure. And I think that says a lot about her as a person, maybe first. And again, I'm going to reference, and I'll, I'll probably have to retweet this, or I, I liked it or whatever. But she has a um, – she's the oldest of four, I think she said. And she has a younger sister who has special needs. And she was like – that to me puts so much into perspective as far as like what's important and what's not important. And, and I do think who she is as a person has really, really shaped who she is as a coach. And she's young. She was just thrown into this. This is her first head coaching job and look what she's doing. So I think part of her probably has to be learning on the fly too. But like you said, I think it's obvious she can coach X's and O's. So the next question would be assuming she's the the lady for the job recruiting how does that work and to me I know she's been the recruiting coordinator so clearly she has she she has the talent in her if you call it talent whatever personality to recruit um but what she's done with this team to me is a lot like recruiting because she had to convince them to stay 
now in portal times, you know, the portal, whatever, you can leave and there's no repercussions. You just step in and play for another team. So for her to step in amidst all this chaos and not just keep a group together, no one left aside from Lavender in the middle of the season. Everyone decided based on what she told them and what they believed in her to stay on the team. And I think that's huge. I think it says a lot about her. Whatever magic she's working in the locker room, they clearly love her and chose to play for her instead of just transferring, not having to sit out and play for someone else. So I think from the very beginning, she's shown that she has that personal relationship. And then now she's shown that she has the coaching side too. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, there, there, there are words that, that elucidate that, but there's gotta be some kind of delivery that, that she, that she, that she uses to right. just reach the players inside and, and make them believe in it. Cause you can say whatever you want, but to say it with, uh, in a, in a way that gets players to just buy into it is just incredible. Um, for sure. So now let's go to the X's and O's, which I know is your favorite part. And it's something yeah. that I haven't had a chance to talk about with basketball. I've, I've missed doing this because with Mike White, it's the same predictable three or four plays or five out nonsense that results in a shot clock violation or turnover every time. And the women's <laughs> basketball program hasn't really been easy to watch period. So mm-hmm. Kelly Ray Finley, um, as you mentioned, she's big into using the guards because she has to. That's that's just the DNA of this team. Right. But they get the tough rebounds. They do get they the do. big ones. How do they go toe-to-toe with teams like Tennessee, who I think they out-rebounded by, I think it was like seven to, to two in the first five minutes of the game. or something incredible. And from there on, fairly even. But they're they're establishing themselves early in games. They're getting the big rebounds late. Yeah, you could say, well, box out, sure. But – Right. How does this team will itself to get rebounds when that's not really their strength? They play hard. If you watch them, I mean, they go, they get after it. And I think a lot of that is they have really adopted this underdog mindset as far as beginning of the season, no expectations. Coach just left. I think they were picked to finish like next to last, maybe in the SEC or at least bottom three or four. Um, so I think they really have rallied around that. And again, players have to do it. Players are out there playing, but I think, and not to beat it at horse here, but to go back to Kelly Ray, I think whatever she has said to make them buy in like this, she literally, it's the intangibles to me of that, um, you know, playing Tennessee, Tennessee's more talented than Florida. There's no argument there, but for whatever reason, she is getting these kids to, play harder and go do things that really on paper you wouldn't think they would be doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, the rebounding thing, I watch their guards and even their post, you know, they box out and then it's a guard that swoops in there and gets the rebound and it's impressive. I mean, again, it just, whatever she is doing to get them to do that because that's an effort thing. And I think playing with effort like that offsets that talent gap that, that they probably have with some other teams. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say that and it's another thing to just watch them go do it right. because I mean, you, I, I mean, not to go back there, but you could say that about the men's team too. I mean, there there's effort there in some games. There's, there's not in others. I mean, there's, there's a result where they lose to Texas Southern by 15 points. That doesn't happen if they're, if they're putting out the effort, they don't, right. they don't lose to a, a, a coachless Maryland team in the midst of turmoil. If they put out the effort they're supposed to, this team puts out effort that I just haven't seen in, in so For long. Sure. And I think everything we're going to talk about, or at least most of them, uh, it, it all sort of comes back to this one single point of failure that, that Kelly Ray Finley is just, is defeating. She's, 
she's getting them to buy in and that just opens up so many different doors. Um, so you were a guard. I know that's your favorite thing. We'll get to that in one second, but I mean, th there's sometimes you just know, like you can talk about all the, the logical data points and the lot and the region that you want, but there's just sometimes a feeling that comes into your stomach and you just know. And for me, the moment that I just knew with Kelly Ray Finley was the end of the Georgia game in Athens, Florida's up one Georgia ball. They get a corner three. It misses. Finley is running out to call a timeout. So, and all her players have their hands up like T T timeout, 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 timeout. They're all ready to do it. She was ready for a miss a Florida rebound and a timeout because she knew that Georgia had the possession arrow. So if there's a miss and there's a tie up, that's going to be Georgia ball again. So that's just like, all right, she's dialed in. She knows what she's doing. Right. This is my coach. Even if the inbounds pass or the, you know, goes awry and Georgia gets like a ridiculous Chioza type game winner and they win in crazy fashion, you still know that your coach did the right thing and was ready to do the right thing in advance. So that was my moment with her. What was your moment where you just knew with Kelly Ray Finley that she was the one for the job? You know, I mean, They've won more games than I would have expected, like I said. Um, to me, probably that Tennessee game, because Tennessee, I have always said, now obviously when I played, Pat Summit was there. So there was even more of a, like, you, even home games against Tennessee, you walk in and there's a whole lot of orange and it's not Florida Gator orange when you walk in that, that arena. And Tennessee just has like this mystic, uh, you know, however to describe it, you know that you're playing like a traditional powerhouse program. I mean, a lot of us, like for me, I grew up watching Tennessee and that was, I wanted to play basketball because I watched Tennessee, UConn, you know, those kind of schools. So I think to go in and not just beat Tennessee, but not even make it competitive. <laughs> like it was, they were head and shoulders ahead of them in every aspect of that game. So I think being able to do that, that really to me was a statement win of like, all right, no more thinking Florida keeps getting these upsets. It's like, no, Florida is legit and Florida's here. And it's not just an upset. It's Florida can play with these people. Um, that one to me was a big one. Even the South Carolina game, which they lost, but there were so many easy missed baskets in that first quarter. And I think they were down at one point. It was like, or maybe at the end of the first quarter, it was like 17 to two or something um, down 25 at halftime whatever it was and they kept battling and made it to where they lost by 12 which I think I tweeted this I'm not saying it's a moral victory and I, I'm not into all of that but to watch them continue to fight it just every box I would have for what a, a coach should do she's checked it and I think it's I mean it's been really fun to watch and she definitely that Tennessee game was where I was all in and she definitely has my support yeah it was it was 19-3 after um the first quarter and that's really okay. that was really the only bad quarter of basketball yeah florida's played since um well i mean the, the, the first game after Briggs um was down they they didn't really play great but from the, from that point on in the last 10 games of which they've won nine that's probably the, the only bad quarter of basketball they've played and there's something to be said about the consistency there so florida right now has gone from all the wrong headlines, all the, all the abuse, all that, whatever, to 17 in the country because they won nine of their last 10 games. I still don't see um, 
a, a, a head coach being listed for the Florida <laughs> I, I see an interim head coach. I don't mm-hmm. see the, a, a, an official head coach for the Florida Gators. So I, I have to think that there's some kind of, of legal, uh, maybe logistical piece that's, that's keeping that from happening. But I, the more time that goes on, the more I kind of worry because this <laughs> athletic director has screwed up women's basketball coaches before, or, you know, he screwed up their situations before you have to think that, that she will be the one for the job on a full-time basis. Right. You know, I mean, that would be my assumption and I have no inside knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. So this is literally me just assuming just like the rest of us out there. Um, I saw someone tweet something about, he's not naming her because they're playing so hard and it's like a good story. And, and I don't know if I believe that it sounds good. If that's the explanation we want to come up with, I do think, and again, this is an assumption. I do think he's going to, after the season interview and treat it like a, a job, you know, a job hiring, just like he would for any job, football, I guess, or whatever the sport is. I think he's going to go through a list and interview people. Um, the thing about that for me is, you can interview and say all of the right things. Dan Mullen, you know, we, I thought he would be good. You can interview and say all the right things, but until you're there, you just don't know how it's going to work out. And to me, for Kelly Ray, we see how it's working out. I think um, they showed a graphic last night and Auburn is, they're like one in 10 in the AC, uh, SEC now, but they've lost maybe eight games by less than seven points or something like that. It's insane. And then if you flip it around and look at Florida, they have won all of these close games. And to me, when it comes down to close games, not saying it's always like this, but I think it is a big positive mark for a coach when you're winning these close games because it just comes down to one or two possessions here and there. And some of that maybe like late game strategy or like when you said she was so ready to call the timeout, I think that's just another pro for her. Um, but, but going back to the hiring, I think he's going to interview people, but I hope there is a lot of emphasis placed on she can interview and say whatever she needs to say, but she's got results to back it up. And that's something that no one else at the University of Florida has that would be interviewing for the job. That's maybe, but that's terrible. Uh, this, this should be <laughs> as easy as coaching search ever. Just go up to her, shake her hand, say, congratulations. You're the coach. And huh? I may be, I may be a hundred percent wrong on that. Uh, again, that is just an assumption. Like you said, it, it we're it's February and nothing's happened yet. And it's not like it's just been one or two games here or there. We're talking like what over a month now of really good wins. Month and a half. Yeah. Nine and um, one in the last 10 games. That's, that's pretty yeah. clear. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I would love for something to come out so they can, you know, in the note in the season with a bang and, and have a head coach and, and for recruiting, honestly, that would be my bigger worry. And I know portal now can cover up some weaknesses, but, they're going to lose some really good players and have players to replace. And at this point, I don't know. I don't know if she's recruiting. I don't know how you can recruit when you don't even know if you're going to be there. So for recruiting, I think the sooner something happens, obviously the better. I, I, I understand that, that, um, that, that, that could be a possibility. I'm still sticking with my, my gut assumption that he is just waiting till the end of the year for some kind of logistical or, or, um, legal sort of reason but I'm, yeah. I'm putting it out there right now if he doesn't if he doesn't make her the head coach and if someone else is coaching florida next year and she goes somewhere else he shall forever be known as hashtag starkville scott 
I don't, I don't really know that, that I love the stigma of, of being the guy that, that comes up with all these, um, these, these nicknames for, for Florida people like, you know, hashtag mid major Mike, uh, and now Starkville Scott, but I mean, that's where he belongs. If, if that's, that's what happens, because that's where he came from. And, and if he does that, that's where he belongs because that would be every you can, you can write off the new Bauer thing as just a mistake. Okay. A really bad mistake, but a mistake. But if he can't then give the girls some, some continuity uh, and, yeah. and some comfort in that continuity with someone that has actually turned their, their lives around really. I mean, you have players talking about, you know, about doing the unthinkable to themselves about ending it. And now they're as happy as I've ever been to take that away from them would just be unforgivable. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that would – I think it would set the program back because I think, one, you're losing players just because their their time is up as far as eligibility, but I think you would lose a lot of players just turnover, and it's hard to start. I mean, it's hard to go from down here and climb your way up, and that's what makes what she's done even more impressive is because I feel like once you're at the bottom, it's hard to dig out of that hole. She's dug out of the hole, and now I'm hoping that – She's named permanent head coach. At least we're already out of the hole and we're just building on that success and not starting all the way back over. I mean, th- this would be the time when the iron is hot. Like, you know, you strike when the iron's hot. This is it. This The iron is white hot right now. You, right. She's got all the momentum in her favor. How do you recruit? That's a good point that I hadn't even – I mean, I, I guess I kind of thought about it, but I hadn't really, like, seriously considered it, um, at least as much as the fact that this current team is – still without a head coach it's just how do you build for the future if you don't recruit during the season remember the the now famous uh dan mullen quote well we'll talk about that after the season the assumption being we don't recruit during the season which is not actually what he said but that's kind of what everyone had assumed how does kelly ray family do that i mean i know if it was my daughter and there was an interim head coach who was saying come play for me i'd be like well until you know we know if you're going to be there you kind of hard to have those conversations so I mean I I do trust that she's it would be crazy there's no explanation for why she wouldn't get the job at this point but um we'll see I mean yeah (laughs) we'll see well I guess there's no there's no point in uh speculating too much more Uh, but I mean ultimately you're right it would be nonsensical for someone else to be coaching Florida next year after what she's done. Um, so let's get back to the X's and O's a little bit. Um, okay. the, the guard play that I know is your favorite um, and, and is really the primary method of this team putting the ball in the basket. They use their guards to do that the most. Um, I know you didn't watch, you said you didn't watch a ton last year, um, but now without Lavender Briggs, you talked about the players feeling like they had an opportunity, that they were allowed yeah. to step up and, and do things that they hadn't previously done. What are you seeing now from Florida's backcourt that you hadn't really seen before specifically? I touched on it earlier, and this probably isn't as specific as it should be, but just like freedom. So I watch them, and like I said, they, they run this weave with a high ball screen. So – the weave, and we actually ran it a little bit when I was at Florida too. A lot of teams, actually Florida men's basketball has run it too, but that gives a lot of freedom to the guards and not saying you're putting the ball in their hands and to make a decision. Um, so, so like I said before, it seemed like early on in the year or last year, or even the year before the ball would get stuck quite often as in more like ISO play and that kind of thing. Whereas now you see them moving. So 
And again, I know this isn't a men's basketball podcast, but I notice the men's team often you can watch them and there's a lot of standing. So they rely on certain players to make plays, but while those players are making plays, everyone else is just kind of standing there and watching and it's easy for the defense to guard. When you watch Florida women's basketball, they're not just relying on one person that they're all just standing and watching. And that being said, they have Kiki Smith is, is one of the best players in the country. So they have a player that can just dominate and take over games, but you'll watch, there's a lot of movement. And I think that is the biggest difference I've seen. Um, And going back to when Cam was coached, they shot so many threes, even when they weren't good shots, which is great if you're making them, but more often than not, you're not. Um, they don't rely on that. Now they can shoot threes and there's players that can shoot threes and they do shoot, shoot a good bit, but they, they drive, they penetrate. And I notice that they're always looking for someone else to make the right pass to, but it's not like they're zoned in on one person. It's, it's spread out in a lot of movement, which is fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really talked about men's basketball too much um, this year. I, I think the last time we really talked about them was Oral Roberts and uh, I mean, you know, everyone knows what happened there. That that was that was for me the, the point uh, from which there is nothing Mike White can do to win me back short of winning a national championship because how are you going to fire him if he does that? But that that was just so unforgivable where you have a team that's just sucking air in Oral Roberts and you just take the air out of the ball. It seems like, yeah. like Mike White so frequently does precisely the worst, most – dumb for lack of a better word the, the dumbest possible thing late in games kelly ray finley is the exact opposite like the georgia timeout was one but i mean she's just she just seems on it from an x's and o's perspective she just seems like the players can kind of trust her to help them out when maybe the game is really close like you said florida wins all these close games auburn doesn't that's why auburn's one in ten now florida's third in the sec but how much do you think that the knowledge that that your head coach is going to be there for you to provide the competitive edge and, and help push you over the edge and win a game that's close where it may be talents even, and you're both executing at a high level. Like you're, you're both, you're both putting in the effort to rebound. You're both running, you know, intelligently designed offenses. How much does that trust in a head coach do you think help the players um, execute late in games and throughout games? Yeah, I think it's huge. I, I cannot state that enough. I think, and maybe maybe to a fault sometimes, which has worked out so far this year, but you see them even late in games last night, for example, which I know we've referenced often, but they have a lead and they're not necessarily, until the very, very end of the game, they are not just pulling it out and pounding the ball and then waiting until there's eight seconds left and driving and throwing up a shot. She is allowing them, and I keep using the word freedom, she is giving them the freedom to keep playing their game because that's what got them ahead in the first place. I think that's huge. I think it shows because they're confident. You see them, there have been so many games where they step up and need to hit a couple of free throws and my heart's racing and you're like, come on, hit the free throws. And I, I think they made them every single time. And I think that comes down to confidence. And that starts with the head coach, um, especially – more than any time late in games. I think no matter how confident you are, you're still looking to the sideline for direction and what to do late in those games. And she has, one, given them freedom, and then, two, knows them well enough to know when to call a timeout and when to kind of settle things down and say, okay, maybe I do need to take charge more. But for the most part, I see a lot of they keep doing what they do all game long, and it doesn't change just because they're up 10 with three minutes left. They keep their gas, their foot on the gas pedal. And, you know, the results speak for themselves of that 
they've won all of these close games. So that is definitely working as opposed to they're up 10 with three minutes left. Let me pound the, the air out of the ball and then, you know, do something crazy at the end. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially when early shot clock offense is working and gaining you guys points. That's a right. And if, if late shot clock offense happens to be the time where you guys score, then it's, I guess, a different story. But right. uh, I mean, there, there's gotta be something to be said though, about the, the concept of, I, I guess, a, a safety net where, like you're going to the free throw line. It's, it's say 60 to 55 with 55 seconds to go. You want to make the free throws, obviously. Right. It's great if you do, but there's, there comes, I guess, an additional dose of confidence that, all right, if you miss it, my teammates are going to bail me in. My teammates are going to somehow get the rebound, even though when you land for a free throw, the team that's not shooting has more people at the line. My teammates are going to bail me out and get the rebound. Or my coach is going to draw up something brilliant and save me or something. Yeah. It just it didn't seem like that was there for them. Um, in in previous years, and I guess really even earlier in the season before the before the wind started coming. So, um, a couple more X's and O's questions for you. Um, okay. Got to got to get all that out of you all. You guys are here. Um, what what is your uh, aside from the freedom with, with which the players play? Because yeah. um, I mean you mentioned that, and and it's definitely useful to know. But aside from that, what would you say your favorite part about Florida's offense is right now um especially as a former guard yourself yeah yeah like you said as a former guard watching guards dominate like that um I think Kiki Smith's left-handed obviously people want to take away her left hand and somehow she still finds a way back to her left hand and and finishes I think it's hard because their offense is pretty one-dimensional as far as like I mentioned earlier they're not throwing it down to a a big old post player who's going to make a move and score so defenses, when they're scouting them, you would think, you know, take away their guards, take away those handoffs, and it should be – they. Sh- you would think from an X's and O standpoint that they should be easier to guard than they have been, which I think is even more impressive because there's clearly adjustments being made based on who they're playing and how they're guarding them to make this one-dimensional offense continue to be so successful. Um, part of it just boils down to they have really good guards that are making really good decisions. But I think aside from an X's and O's that you can't just pinpoint as like a black and white, you get a head coaching job, you come in the locker room and you say this and it works. Whatever it is, the combination of factors between rallying around this head coach who's come in and stepped in and given them this positivity that they needed, and then just the players rallying around each other, this sounds cliche, but I mean it in that they genuinely seem to enjoy playing with each other. Like you watch them celebrate, you watch them, in the middle of games or in timeouts, they're all high-fiving. There's, like, genuine excitement on the bench, not just a coach saying, like, come on, stand up, cheer for your teammates. And I think that also has a lot to, to do with it, of that they're feeding off of each other. And that's not X's and O's, but I think that does play into how their offense is successful, is that they, they trust each other and they like each other having success. So maybe I, I can see that though. Like, I guess a cause and effect relationship between right. – yeah, I, I've celebrated with my coach before. I loved – for example, the video of Kelly Ray Finley coming in the locker room after Georgia. She's about to say, let's go. And before she can say it, the players <laughs> just start throwing water at her and everything. So I, I think players, um, I mean, can can remember those moments and say, yeah, I love that. That was a special moment. So maybe let me, maybe, maybe let me set this screen with that much more adamance, I guess. Maybe let's like right. do it right, not just stand there and sort of like go through the motion, but like that, let's just stand there, put the hands down, stand rigid and let's set right. that screen with that much more energy so that I can get to that moment and, you know, and experience that, that joy. Um, I can, and that's one thing um, 
again, not to go too cliche down the sports quotes kind of thing, but it's one thing to play for yourself. Like it's human nature. Everyone wants to play well for themselves. You want to, to score, you want to shoot well, you want to play good defense. But I think when you add in the layer of not just wanting to play for your teammates who you're in the locker room and rooming with and good friends with, but I think some of that plays to this interim head coach title of that they're also playing for this woman that I think they want to play for. They want to be their head coach and they know that she needs to win these games to get that opportunity. Whereas, you know, you have a coach who's under contract and, and of course you still want to win. And I'm not saying that's the reason why they want to win, but I do think this rallying around her and what she's done and now the success has just trickled, trickled, trickled. Um, I think that does play a role with even going back to like the rebounds and how hard they play. I think it's, they're playing for more than just themselves and more for just like winning games, but winning games for a purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. Um, it, I still, I, I, again, I understand the, the idea of waiting till the end of the year for the legal yeah. slash statistical reasons. The recruiting thing you brought up is a good one. I can see that that's a data point in favor of what you said, some random person on Twitter said, uh, let's just let it go out this way because that's working. That's winning them games. Yeah. I guess we can debate that uh, until the cows come home, but um, <laughs> at least, at least for now, we know that, that she is safe through the rest of the year. So we're going to be looking forward to this team now moving forward in a way that we haven't before. Uh, I mean, there, there was the year where I think it was 16, the year where they were five seed and Albany stunned them. Um, there was the year where you played as a nine seed, but a ridiculously under respected nine seed. It was, it felt kind of like a five twelve game the way you guys were just counted out. And then you did what Florida Gators do and beat Ohio state. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's, there's excitement now. There's, there's a feeling now for this program that there really hasn't been aside from a stray year here or there. So in, in the, in the interest of sort of gaining more fans and trying to appeal to more people, what is it, – it, it's a tricky question. Um, but aside from, like, the ball being a different size um, and yeah. the players being different sizes, what would you say are the main differences between the men's game and the women's game that people should look for when they watch this team moving forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously in the men's games, you're going to have some high-flying dunks, and that isn't going to be replicated necessarily in the women's game. But I think if you are a basketball fan, if you just like watching basketball, you would like this, this Florida women's team. And I say that as someone who I haven't always been a huge fan of women's basketball. Like once I stop playing, it's not like I'm the person who sits on the couch and anytime a game comes on, I flip it on like I do college football. But this team in particular, as far as their style of play and, and the way they play, there's, if you like the, the crossovers and the step backs, they do that. If you like the flashy passes to the post, they do that too. Um, I think anyone who enjoys basketball, they play basketball. Like it's not just, you know, a bunch of people standing around and one person makes a pass. Like I call it like LA fitness basketball when there's one really good guy and everyone else just stands around. Um, that is part of the reason why I'm obviously very active on Twitter with, with Florida sports in general, really. I have the a three-year-old and a two-year-old and that is like my escape from the real chaos of my life is Florida sports. But part of that is I know how hard they work, not just women's basketball, any sport. And, but for women's basketball in particular, how hard they work, how they haven't always had the success to be able to gather, you know, get 5,000 fans routinely at home games. But if I can play even the smallest part and trying to help get some excitement for those girls to where it pays off to where, 
they're winning these games and now maybe someone sees something and is like, hey, I will go check out a game. Um, that is part of the reason why I like to keep tweeting about them is just they've earned it. And I, I am confident that I wouldn't have said this three years ago. I wouldn't have been like, go watch them play and you're going to enjoy it. But I think people genuinely will go to a game and be excited and enjoy watching this team play. Yeah, I remember. I think, I think it was two years ago where you where you tweeted something along the lines of, um, "I I, I realize that not everyone is the biggest fan of women's basketball, and and I understand why." In reference to the the current right. team, which I think was three and thirteen or so in the SEC. So, <laughs> um, I mean, just so y'all listening are clear, that this is not uh, a a homer. I guess she's she's a former player, uh, but she's not she's not benefiting in any way by, by, by promoting the current team or encouraging you to check them out. Uh, this is someone who, who has in previous points in time gone out of her way to say, yeah, I understand if you don't want to watch the team, I get it. So that, that should mean a lot. Um, all right. So I guess, I guess the last real question about this team for you is we've, like I said about the team in 2016, you know, we've seen good seasons before, that didn't really end great. I mean, losing to Albany in the NCAA tournament was was not not good. And and as I mentioned earlier, it might have cost Butler her job in yeah. some way or another. So what does this team new need to do to finish strong the regular season? Because I think teams are gonna watch tape and say, Oh wow, this is a different team. Let's let's maybe adjust to that somehow sure. and, and figure them out. So what do they need to do to keep it up the rest of the way? And then what do they need to do to make a run in the NCAA tournament, which is, you know, and I know is a very different animal. Yeah. I think the rest of the way, I think, what is it? They have four, four SEC games left and they're, they're not easy ones. There's, well, they have one of a, a lower ranked team in the SEC, but it's going to be dog fights. Um, but honestly, I mean, how could you say anything other than keep doing what, what they're doing? I think, this upcoming Thursday, they play Arkansas at home, and I'm hoping there's a good turnout where they can feed off the crowd. Um, like I said, they've earned that, and I, I don't think people will be disappointed to go out there and support them in a big game. I think one thing they really have going for them, and we referenced the Lavender Briggs, and I think I'd have to go back and look at the box scores, but one of those early games, it may have been the Towson game, I went back and looked at one of the box scores, and she shot, I think it was like three of 17 maybe from the floor and not saying it was her fault, but I think when you have one dominant player like that, when you're referencing the NCAA tournament, if that player has an off night, your team's going to lose because you're so dependent on that one player. Whereas the way this Florida team is, they obviously rely a lot on Kiki Smith, but not just scoring. She's kind of, you know, like the, the general of it all. Um, I think one player can have an off night and there's other players that step up and especially where they're so guard strong is that the offense they run gives equal opportunity for all of these guards to make plays. So I think one thing they really have going for them in the NCAA tournament is players are going to have off nights, especially there when the defense, it's everything so much more intense, but that if one player has an off night, as opposed to before when the one player was your very best player that everything kind of centered on. Now you have other people that are just as willing and capable to step up. And I think, or at least I hope, that bodes well for them as far as making a run. And, and honestly, hopefully they are, if they finish out strong, they should be, I would assume, at least a top five seed, a five or better. So that hopefully that route is a little bit um, more conducive to making a good deep run. 
Well, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the NCAA tournament for women's a little different in that the top four seeds in the regions get get home floor. I do. The first yeah. two games. Because I, I think that Florida was a five seed in the, uh, against Albany in that game that I keep referencing. And that was a true road game at Syracuse. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a situation where, all right, 5-12, but Syracuse is a lot closer to Albany than it is to Gainesville. Right. And even though Albany may not be the most – Know, rowdy fan base whatever fans are in the area are going to say hey ncaa tournament let's go support our girls in the tournament and you know road game environment didn't really didn't really work out too well for them but that's one thing that i think bodes better for this team than a lot of people think three road games in a row at georgia yeah. who's ranked at mississippi state who i mean they're not tremendous this year but they were in the national title game not and that they long have ago. good fan support so that's like a true true road game yeah, and exactly. And and then at Auburn, three in a row, and you win all three, two of them by more than, I think, what was the number? Uh, five points, or no. Now they won, I think, by three, by nine, and and by six. So I guess, I guess they were close. But they, they ground them out in the end. And if Florida is going to make a run, even if they do get the home floor for the first two games, we're talking – heights that they've never reached before. Like we're right. talking, this team could make a run to the final four. Why not? They've never done it yeah. before. They, they don't know any better. They don't know like the nerves or the fear of it. So if they're going to do that, they're going to have to win on the road. And they have clearly demonstrated that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the last question I had was, was kind of already answered, but um, in, in a very, in a very summarized uh, synopsized fashion, what would you say uh, makes this team so special and what makes them the team that you think could, could break that ceiling and, and reach the final four for the first time ever for Florida? I think the first thing I thought of when you said special was that you look at preseason and I'm pretty sure they were picked next to last in the SEC. And typically those preseason rankings, you know, they may vary here and there, but even more so in women's basketball, it usually stays pretty true to what people expect. So to see a team that wasn't picked to finish in the middle, what literally people thought would finish next last in the SEC, be competing for a top three seed going into the SEC tournament. And now we're talking, they're ranked number 17 in the country as of yesterday morning. Now you're talking those top 16, theoretically get those top four seeds where they get to host two rounds of the NCAA tournament. We're now just not talking about a team that went through a lot of turmoil and is just kind of surviving and making it through the season, but a team that's going to be that's putting together the best season sport has had in I guess it's been 25, 30 years. I mean, we're talking like a team that you're going to look back on and say that was one of the best teams in the history of Florida. Um, that's special. That's special to do under any circumstances, but even more special to do knowing the circumstances that they've been dealt as far as the chaos over the last however many years. So this is definitely a team. I obviously played there. I have memories from there. This is a team. I think I will be 25 years from now looking back and being like, man, you remember that team in 2021, 22 that went through all this and, and had all this success. So um, yeah, that would definitely be, to me, what makes them most special is to have no expectations, have everyone count them out, and then now we're talking about not just a good season, but one of the best in Florida women's basketball history. And and you say that, and, and it's probably easier for people to think, well, that's just hyperbole. That's just a you know, prisoner of the moment knee jerk. Florida women's basketball, for those out there who may not know this, they've reached the Sweet 16 two times ever. 
97, 98. In 97, they made the Elite Eight. That's it. That's it. That is that is the only that that is all their history right there. They've had two Sweet 16 appearances, and one of them they reached the Elite Eight and they lost. Haven't reached a Sweet 16 this century, and for this team to reach the Sweet 16 would literally be history as the, the third team to ever do it. And then from there, I mean, the Elite Eight they will have matched the 97 team. But if they go farther than that, it will quite literally be the farthest this team has ever gone. So when, when Jordan says, you know, history or ever, the results back that up. So, and just to add on to, I know we've, we've given Kelly Ray her praises and she's more than earned them. And just to give one more pat on the back here, what you say, Florida women's basketball doesn't have a history of being super successful. So Tennessee loses a coach a few months before the season start, or UConn uses their coach. I think that's one thing to where you can still maintain some level of success, but she's taken a team that hasn't had literally any success in the last four years and jumped into this head coaching job that, that really was set up for her to fail. It seems like just someone stepping in and taking over a team and not just like maintain any kind of level of expectation, but far exceeded I would say anyone's expectation outside of maybe the kids in the locker room. So I think it can't be stated enough, the job she's done and like use the word special and it's true, just how special this team is. So one more, I guess, lightning round question to end it. Um, (laughs) This Florida team makes history and no, I I won't say wins the national title because there's, there's too much luck that goes into that too many offense, whatever, but this Florida team makes history and reaches the final four for the first time ever. If blank. If, um, that's a good one. If I think Kiki Smith and Zippy Broughton, they need to, if you want to put like a number on it, I think they both need to average at least 15 points a game. I think that basically saying, if you don't want to put a number on it, if those two play well consistently, and I'm not saying they have to each score 40, but if those two play well, I legitimately think they could make a really deep run. But I think a lot falls on those two shoulders. And if I had to bet, I, I'm putting my money on them. I mean, they've done it all, all, all SEC season. So a lot falls on those two. And so we'll see how far they can, those two in particular can take them. I really want to see them against South Carolina again. I mean, if yeah. they win enough games, we'll get it. But that that kind of seems like the one score they still have to settle because they really – sure. And, I mean, I think we both agree they, they just played awful the first quarter. Yeah. And, and they know it. They're not going to sit there and, and lie about it. They know, you know, we didn't play our best. If we get a rematch with them, we're going to give them everything we've got. And they're going to have to face a team like that if we're going to make this kind of history and set these kinds of records. Um yeah. I think that's about it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Jordan, you've been more than gracious, more than um, generous with your time. Is there any any last message for for Florida Gator fans out there? That, I mean, you kind of already did this, but just to sort of cap the show with the, yeah. with a bang. Any last message you want to you want to put out there? The last thing I will say, and we we touched on this, is. I've said it before, I'll say it now, women's basketball isn't everyone's thing. And whether it's women's basketball or softball or tennis or golf, whatever the sport is, it's really easy to get out there and support these football and men's basketball players. That appeals to a lot of people. But the if you only had an idea of how much work these student athletes put in to represent the school we all love with everything they have and in the best light, it is so worth. I challenge anyone listening to just pick even if it's just one game a year, to try to hit one game of each of those sports and just show a little bit of support. Um, 
we all love the, the Gators. We all want to see them do well. And that's one small part that we can play is just supporting these people who are support who are playing for the school we love. Pretty good message. Pretty good way to, <laughs> to cap it off. Yeah. Jordan Jones, thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. We're going to, I'm assuming the team keeps playing like this. We're going to have to have you back at some point to Let's do it. To talk about the Gators in the NCAA tournament and looking forward to them um, potentially setting those records and making that history. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Go Gators. Go Gators.